Has anyone heard about the cemetery for alcoholics? It's haunted by spirits. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 93 of Starting Sustainability. I am your host, Kaylin Chenoweth. Hello, Sustainer Nation. I am over the worst part of COVID. I definitely still have a bunch of drainage and a wicked cough. Don't worry, I will be editing out all of the coughing fits. <laughs> and as you can tell, I still don't really have my voice back all the way, but I did get my sense of smell and taste back, which is wonderful. And I would say that I'm about 70% of my usual self. I still get out of breath a little easily and I can definitely tell that I don't have as much energy as I used to, but I'm happy to be coming on the up and up on this thing. Now that I can taste again, I am able to enjoy the veggies out of my garden now, and they do taste wonderful. <laughs> and my loofah plant actually has two loofahs growing on it. It was one loofah last week, and this week it has doubled in size, and now there are two of them, which is super exciting. I even took pictures and put them up on the Facebook group, so I'm really, really proud of myself for being able to grow the loofah thus far. I still need to figure out when it's ripe to cut it and eat it, because it is a squash, and how I'm supposed to turn it into a loofah that I use as a sponge. I think I'm just supposed to leave it on the vine, but I'm gonna have to look that up and figure it out. While we were on quarantine last week, I got the bright idea to introduce my 16-month-old to the potty. He's not completely trained, but he is definitely familiar with the potty, and he knows what to do if I put him on the potty. So that's really pretty cool. He can't tell me, hey, I have to pee, and he can't pull his shorts up and down. But as long as I remember to put him on the potty about every hour, hour and a half or so, he will pee every time, which is really, really cool. The only problem is his favorite part is flushing the potty. And he will sneak off and go into the bathroom and flush it over and over and over. So I'm not really sure about the water wastage at this point. <laughs> but I'm trying. I'm trying. So I did return to work this week, and for the last couple of weeks, I had to miss the first bit, but we have slowly been reopening our cafes, and there are six of them, and it has been a complete and utter nuthouse. It is bonkers. I'm going in at 7 a.m., I'm leaving at 6 p.m., I'm working through my lunches, which also may be why I'm really tired and not back to 100%. And normally I record my podcast and edit it and do everything during my lunch break, but I haven't had a lunch break. So here it is Friday night and I'm putting together my podcast that I need to upload on Sunday. So <laughs> it's, it's definitely been long days every day. And every day there is a new hiccup to address and those supply chain issues are real. We are having a terrible time hiring staff, getting basic food products like bread and lunch meat. We need cups and lids for the fountain sodas and everywhere we turn, we can't get them. Everybody's sold out, nobody can get a hold of them. It's just been an utter, utter nightmare. I think in part because we're reopening our cafes, all the schools also reopened all at the same time. So what supplies was available in the warehouses has immediately disappeared. So it is a real struggle for sure. 
It's not just struggles at work, but there are struggles when it comes to putting together this podcast. And so I want to take this moment to announce that I have a correction because I want to give accurate information. And sometimes it's really hard to decipher from all of the articles and information available out there. I do my best to make sure that I'm giving you accurate information, but sometimes I get fooled as well. (laughs) And so... I am the first one to admit that I am not an expert in this area. That's why it's called starting sustainability. We're all trying to figure it out. But if you know more about something than I do, which is likely, then please feel comfortable letting me know and I will make a correction statement, which is what I'm doing right now. Shaylin, which is a lovely name, by the way, I absolutely love that. She reached out to me and shared some resources with me. Previously, I talked about the Great Garbage Patch, which is real, but it's not a floating trash island like I had described it previously. It's an accumulation of microplastics pulled together by the ocean currents. And the reason that it's not on satellite is because it's not dense enough. So that is the corrective statement. And the source is www.oceanservice.noaa.gov backslash facts backslash garbage patch. Like I've said before, I'm not an expert, but I do enjoy talking with people and learning from them. Today, I have Casey Cat from Cultivated Craft Spirits. Now, do you see how my spirits joke at the beginning applies? <laughs> Casey explains the current process of distilling spirits and what he plans to change to make the distilling practices as sustainable as possible. Please listen in on my interview with Casey Cat. We are all taking extra steps to be more sustainable. However, there are some luxuries that are hard to give up. One extraordinarily resource-intensive luxury is alcohol and specifically distilled spirits. Did you know for every bottle of whiskey created, six pounds of carbon waste are generated? He is the co-founder of a new distillery in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Casey Cat, and he is here today to spread the word about sustainable whiskey. Say hello, Casey. Hey, Kaylin, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you today? Fantastic. All right. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. So yeah, we are starting a whiskey distillery here in Pittsburgh, PA, and our objective is to decrease whiskey's carbon footprint entirely. And so like you said, whiskey is a very resource intensive product to make on a couple different levels. And so what we're trying to do is build out a distillery for with a long-term vision. And by doing that, we're going to kind of focus on the four different levels that we break kind of whiskey production into and try and be as sustainable as possible on all four of those different levels. I'm really glad that you're here on the podcast because I've not done an episode on alcohol yet. And to be honest, I'm not really a drinker, but my husband is. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to I had to use him for reference on coming up with some of the questions for this interview. But prior to this, my best advice when somebody wanted to be sustainable when it came to drinking was just drink local, like do local breweries and wineries. And that was all that I had. So I'm glad that you're here and that way you can help educate us on this topic. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So let's start from the top because I've basically got zero knowledge. (laughs) What are the current traditional distillery practices that are so not earth friendly? I like to break up the traditional distilling process into kind of four different levels. The first level is 
agriculture. So the actual growing and harvesting of the different grains that go into making whiskey. Then the next level is the actual production of the new make. Your listeners might be familiar with that being called moonshine. So it's the white spirit. And then the third level is the aging process. So we take that white spirit and we put it in barrels and we age it for a period of time that imparts various different flavors and things like that to the whiskey. Um, And then after a period of time, we'll pull the whiskey out of those barrels and then we'll go on to the fourth level packaging. So kind of starting from the top, we have the agriculture um, and the growing. And so whiskey by definition is made from cereal grains. If you're talking about scotch, you're going to largely be talking about barley and specifically malted barley. Um, And that, as you can imagine, comes from Scotland. But then if you're talking about American whiskey, you're predominantly going to be talking about bourbon and bourbon is largely corn based. And then here in America, you also have seen kind of a resurgence in the rye whiskey, which is actually a, a earlier American whiskey. So a lot of the different cereal grains that are being used as the precursors to whiskey are farmed in the traditional agricultural, traditional industrial farming processes. And so these are things that include like a lot of tillage, which is uh, not good for soil health. Then you also have a reliance on various fertilizers and pesticides to make sure that the the crops are surviving and performing economically. And then also you have a requirement for irrigation. And so on that note, what we're trying to do at Cultivate Craft Spirits is we want to try and support those different farmers uh, that are implementing more sustainable farming practices. And so what we're looking to do is partner ideally with local farmers, but farmers in our eastern side of the United States that are doing things like no-till farming, organic farming, and regenerative farming. And so our objective is to source those grains from those types of farmers. You went through the different types of whiskey and the grains for each one. What ones are you making? Are you doing all of them? Our objective actually is to focus on more unique whiskeys. And that kind of also ties into the idea of increasing biodiversity. And so the grains that I talked about earlier, those are very common. um, And those are whiskeys that are very prevalent on the market. But there are a lot of other cereal grains that you can do similar, if not the exact same process and make interesting whiskeys that would be new to the market. So those are things like sorghum, which is a very interesting grain. I know sorghum. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, it's kind of, I've had a popped sorghum, like popcorn, but popped sorghum, and it tastes exactly like popcorn, except there are no kernels. So nothing gets stuck in your teeth. I was like, this is the best thing ever. And I've never been able to find it since. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off there. <laughs> no, not a problem at all. Yeah, sorghum is a really interesting plant. So some varieties behave much like a cereal grain. And so you're going to harvest kind of like what you were alluding to, the, the popcorn. But there are also some varieties that kind of behave more like sugar cane. And so you'll squeeze out that sugar and you can then ferment that sugar juice into a spirit as well. Our idea is to not only partner with farmers to try and improve their sustainable practices, but then also that biodiversity. So different things like sorghum, millet, buckwheat, and then also some more of the heirloom varieties of corn and things like that. So 
in America, bourbon is very commonly made with the standard yellow dent corn, but there are a lot of other varieties of corn out there that you can use to make a more traditional style of bourbon. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. And so our, our objective is to try and promote sustainability on two levels. You have the, the practices and then also the actual grains that we're using to make whiskey. Very cool. And then you had mentioned the next level, because you went through your four levels of the barrels and making the moonshine and storing it in the barrels. So what is not sustainable about that part? Uh, Once we have collected the grain from the farmers, the next step is the fermentation process. And so in the fermentation process, we're using yeast to metabolize the sugars from those grains and create alcohol. But first, we need to get those sugars out of the grain. That grain is made up of starches, and those are essentially long sugar chains. But the yeast like to eat much, much shorter sugar chains, ideally just individual sugar molecules. And so what we have to do traditionally is we will crush those grains into smaller pieces, mechanically using different grinders and things like that. Then we'll take that flour and add it to the water, which creates a what's called a mash. It's kind of a thick, soupy, uh, like oatmeal almost. And then what will happen is some synthetic or some natural enzymes will be used to break down those longer starch chains into individual sugars. And this process is very energy intensive because you have to heat up the water and heat up those grains so that the enzymes can, one, be active and to actually get access to those starch molecules. And then the other thing that is kind of also energy intensive, but in the opposite way is you have this really hot mash and it's more that conversion of starch to sugar is much more effective at higher temperatures, but then you need to add your yeast in there and the yeast don't like the hot temperature, they're going to die or they're going to produce some off flavors. And so you've spent a lot of energy heating all of this up, and then you're going to go ahead and cool that down. And so that's, that's kind of the, an inverse energy, but it still takes energy to pull the heat out of your mash and transfer it somewhere else. And so once that mash is cooled down, you can pitch your yeast and they're going to metabolize the sugars and go through their natural process, which is going to create that alcohol, which is the the target that we really want. And when the yeast are doing that, it's metabolism. So they're generating heat. And so whenever you're talking about the industrial scale production of whiskey, what you're going to need is to be able to cool down those large hundreds of gallons of mash so that the yeast don't overheat and again, either die or start producing funky flavors that you don't want in your whiskey. So there's also another level of cooling there uh, that needs to be done. And on top of that, a byproduct of the standard alcohol, the metabolism of the yeast is production of CO2. So you have this CO2 that is just traditionally being allowed to be released into the environment throughout that process. So even a bigger carbon footprint. Exactly. More energy, more carbon. Unfortunately, despite how delicious whiskey is, it is a bit of a pain in the environment's butt. (laughs) So with that step of making the mash and doing the yeast and the heating and cooling, what are you going to do that's different, that's better? that's helpful to the environment and not a pain in its butt. 
Right, exactly. Um, and so a lot of that heating and coolant, well, let's start off with the heating. A lot of the heating right now uh, is traditionally done with non-renewable natural gas. It used to be done with coal and peat fires back in the day. And our objective is to utilize all solar and wind power to provide electrical heating for these processes which are required. It, it's very, it's impossible to get around the need to add that heat, but our objective is to use those renewable resources and do utilize electrical heating, um, which is going to be more costly at this point in time, but we kind of look at it as an investment in the future. And then what a lot of people will do on the cooling side for the various different steps is they will just tap into their local municipal water supply. So they're taking water that has already been filtered, treated, is potable water, and they're using that to cool their system. So they just pass it through these heat exchangers and they create this hot water and it goes into the sewer system. That is not a really good use of water. And so what we want to do is first, we're going to start off using electric-based chillers. And so these are going to use a traditional refrigeration cycle just based on um, the cost of implementation. And similarly, we're going to use solar and wind power to power those chillers themselves. And our longer term vision is to then tap into cooling such as geothermal. And so trying to implement um, newer technologies so that we can achieve what we need to achieve to get get the different conversions, but do so in a way that has uh, a long-term goal of being sustain as sustainable as possible. The issue is implementing these sustainable components, they're often pretty costly. So we kind of envision the initial uh, build-out of the facility implementing these chillers, which are not ideal, but they're still utilizing those renewable, that renewable energy source, and then transition to the more costly to implement, but even more so environmentally friendly cooling mechanisms. So the little bit that I know about solar panels, which sounds like will be a majority of your electrical resource is <laughs> they, they are expensive, like you were saying, but you also need a lot of real estate. So you're going to have to have I mean, you're in Pittsburgh, so I don't know if there's a big open field nearby or if you've got a big building where the roof can house a lot of those solar panels. I'd, I'm just trying to figure out, like, you're going to need a lot. <laughs> I guess that's where the, maybe the wind turbine energy comes in, too. <laughs> right, exactly. And so our initial plan for the first build out of the distillery is to uh, rely on some of the different providers in our area. So in the Pittsburgh area, we actually have uh, multiple different providers that you can sign up for and use on your standard grid, but those providers source from local, largely in Pennsylvania, some in New York, they're going to source both solar and wind-based power. And so every dollar that we spend on our electricity bill as we're trying to do this heating or trying to run these chillers is actually going to be going towards supporting those producers. And so because the there is a large electrical draw for these different components. And as you alluded to, actually implementing that on our facility is going to be exorbitantly costly. Our initial plan is to work with those providers to tap into the gigantic windmills uh, that we have here in the, the central part of Pennsylvania uh, with 
the end vision being that we're going to, as the brand and as the company grow, uh, we're going to start implementing our own self-generated renewable energy. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Because I was just trying to figure out, I'm like, how are you going to put all this together? So you already got it all planned out. We try. We try. <laughs> hey, while, while you're talking, I was thinking to myself, I just wanted to know, do you have some kind of food chemistry background? Is that how you have all of this knowledge on the chemistry and the science behind making whiskey? Uh, it's been a little bit more of a passion project. I have a PhD in bioengineering, but it wasn't whiskey related in any sense. It was after a, a trip to Scotland that I just kind of fell in love with uh, with everything. And I've been in, I've been working in the industry for a year and a half now. Okay. So I'm a registered dietitian and I had to take food chemistry classes as part of my degree. So I remember learning how alcohol is made, but I did like you explained it so well. <laughs> I actually followed it way better than when my professor was trying to teach it to me. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I got this. And this is all audio. Like you don't even have a little PowerPoint and demonstrations or anything. It's all verbal and, and you nailed it. So good job. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love sharing this with people. It, that's, that's part of what we want to do. We can transition back to the discussion now of the, sure. of the distillery practices. Okay, so we've got it heated up and cooled down. And then what's the next step after that? So now the yeast have completed their job and you've got this mixture of grain and alcohol and kind of dead yeast cells and things. And it's commonly called distiller's beer. It's very similar to what a traditional brewer, a beer brewer would have. And so that's around 10% alcohol or so, depending on different parameters. And what we need to do now is we need to separate that alcohol from all that other, I'll call it junk, all that other junk that's in there so that we can get that clean spirit. That's done through the traditional distilling process. And so again, most commonly non-renewable resources are going to generate heat which is going to boil off that alcohol and alcohol actually boils at a lower temperature than water. So you just pump that distiller's beer into your still, you start heating it up. And the first thing that comes off are some astringent compounds that you don't really want to be drinking. They're not safe to drink. Then the second thing that comes off is the alcohol that you're interested in. And then as you keep going through the process, you're getting more and more of the water that's coming along. And throughout this process, I'm really glazing over kind of the art that is behind distilling. But in addition to bringing over that alcohol, you're bringing over the different flavors that have been generated throughout the whole fermentation process. But ultimately on the sustainability side, you're again, having to put in a lot of energy to boil off that alcohol. And then again, you have to recondense that. And so you're often using that same kind of water-based cooling to take those alcohol vapors and condense them back into a now more concentrated alcohol. And so for traditional whiskeys, this distillation process is often going to be done a total of two times. So you'll distill it, then you'll condense it, and then you'll distill it again, and then you'll condense it again. And so there's a lot of energy there. And then if we're talking about other spirits like vodka and things like that, they're going to distill it even more times than that so that they can get rid of some of those flavors that 
as a whiskey producer, we kind of want to keep. And so the same idea for our processes and practices, we're going to be utilizing that electrical heating and the renewable energy to power our chillers to do those processes. And so at the end of this process, what we have and what we're left with is this really flavorful, it's called new make spirit. Some people might be more familiar with it as moonshine. It is a clear, highly concentrated alcohol solution. And so that kind of ends that second stage, that production of the whiskey. And the next step is the aging step. What is commonly done to age is you're going to take that whiskey or that white spirit, and you're going to put it in an oak barrel. The oak barrel is going to add a lot of depth of flavor. You're going to be pulling out components in the from the oak itself, and that's going to be going into your alcohol. There's also going to be a lot of different chemical reactions that are occurring because the barrel itself is kind of like a semi-permeable container. And so there's oxygen that can get in and you can also let out alcohol and water throughout this aging process. That's where you're going to pick up a lot of the depth of flavor, but then you're also going to kind of mellow out some of the, the sharper notes that people might be familiar with if they tried moonshine. It's got a bit of a bite to it. After you do the, the aging in the oak barrels, you're going to remove kind of those sharper notes. You keep talking about moonshine and the flavors of it. And, and I got married in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I remember we went and did a moonshine tasting by we, I mean, my husband did it and I just watched him. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, they pretty much all taste like fire. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. And no, not many people want to drink fire all the time, but by putting it in those barrels, there's really this kind of magical chemistry that occurs with a combination of time, oxygen, and those compounds that are contained in the wood that really mellow it out and make it into something that's very enjoyable to drink. On this aging process, there are a couple things that we've identified as locations where we can improve sustainability. For most American spirits, such as bourbon or rye whiskey, the federal government actually mandates that those have to be put into fresh oak barrels. So oak barrels that are brand new and they have to be charred. And so what that means, especially over the past 10 years or so, as there has been this phenomenal bourbon boom in the U.S. and across the world, that there's about 1.5 million white oaks that have to be harvested every year to make these new barrels so that the spirit can be aged. That just made um, me cringe. <laughs> right. It's, it's insane. There's a couple things. One, in order to make these barrels, they are harvesting older oaks. They're generally in the 70-year-old plus range. Two, because the barrels themselves have to be structurally sound, the milling process that the lumber mills will use to make the staves ends up wasting more oak than we would like to see wasted. The interesting thing is there's been some science done around these different aging and aging times. And what the research has shown is that the alcohol only actually will penetrate a few millimeters into the thickness of those staves, the, the individual pieces of wood that make up that barrel. And so there's a lot of that wood flavor and things like that that are left in the barrel. But because of the way that the federal government is mandated and it is all done in the interest of quality control, but 
the way that it is mandated, you can only use that barrel once. While the barrel does magic to that moonshine and takes that fire out of it, what we want to do is try to be more responsible with how we're doing this aging process. And so the very first thing is we're going to only age our spirit in used oak barrels. And so then you're thinking, well, then you might not get as much flavor. And that what we are planning on doing is implementing oak chips. And that will allow us to, one, have a very high level of control over the flavor that we're providing to our different whiskeys. And two, by making oak chips, we can use more of every tree that is harvested. You won't have nearly as much waste as you do with the traditional process, but you still allow the aging to really do that that magical chemistry. There's been a lot of people out there who have tried to uh, accelerate the aging process. Some people say to some success, most people say uh, not so much. We don't want to kind of reinvent the aging process. We just want to try and do it in a much more sustainable way by using, uh, reusing oak barrels multiple times and implementing those oak chips to provide that that flavor uh, that really is characteristic of whiskey. Is there a reason it has to be only oak barrels or could you use a different tree that grows faster or even bamboo? The reason it is oak is was initially because oak is a very structurally sound variety of wood. And whenever you fill up these 53-gallon oak barrels, they're in excess of 500 pounds. So you really need a sturdy piece of wood to make up each individual piece of that barrel. The interesting thing is if we're relying more on chips to provide that flavor and we're just using the barrel as that kind of semi-permeable container, then by using those chips, we could target different kinds of woods using wood that not only is going to be more environmentally conscientious, but also could provide some really interesting and unique flavors that aren't currently on the market. So with bamboo, you're saying that it's it's not going to be as permeable and it's probably not going to be as strong as the oak is? Exactly. Okay. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Where did we leave off on your process? So, yeah, that that's the the end of the third step. So All right. aging aging is step number three, and depending on what type of whiskey uh, you're drinking, you will have aged spirits anywhere from very young, being maybe like six months or so, to if you're drinking a straight bourbon, that's going to be two years in the oak barrel, and then. If you're drinking scotches, those are at least three years in the barrel as they're legally mandated in Scotland. But a lot of times you're drinking things that are in excess of 10 years in the barrel. What then happens is you've got this now really flavorful spirit and you have to package that up and get it out to your customers. Anybody who has drank whiskey or any spirit for that matter knows that most of the spirits are packaged in glass. And oftentimes this really fancy glass that they're packaged in very custom glass, it's trying to um, kind of build up that brand and uh, make the image of whatever spirit it is. And so these glasses are, or these bottles are custom designed and things like that. While glass in itself is an indefinitely reusable resource, especially here in the United States, glass recycling is not 
as effective as it should be and could be. And so a lot of the glass that's uh, made here in the United States ends up going into landfills, unfortunately. Even sometimes if you're putting it into single stream recycling, uh, so if you're putting it in your recycling can alongside plastics and other things, I've heard stats where only 40% of that glass ends up getting recycled. Glass is one of the packaging components that we wanna focus on at Cultivate Craft Spirits in trying to minimize our impact. We're looking at different ways of doing this. Uh, we're currently in talks with some producers that are using 100% post-consumer recycled glass to make their bottles. And then we also have some ideas about uh, potentially reusing wine bottles. So that way, instead of having to take used bottles, grind them up, remelt them down to make the 100% the recycled glass bottles. If there's a way that we could just take a bottle that has been used, clean it and repurpose it, that would be a much more effective use of the glass container. The larger spirits companies are uh, looking at various different cardboard packages and things like that. Uh, but I think, especially in the near term, our objective is to work on those two fronts, the post-consumer recycled glass, as well as the glass reuse. And then what we would like to do is, especially for our local customers, we would like to have some kind of trade-in program so that those bottles can be brought back. And instead of going into the recycling stream, they can come back to us, get filled up with whiskey again and go back out. And so that's one component of the packaging that we want to, to try and improve on. A couple other components. One is the labels themselves. So a lot of these spirits bottles, whiskey bottles, they're going to have fancy labels that are trying to catch the attention of a customer who's browsing the shelves. And so not only is it the paper that the labels are printed on, but if you're incorporating things like gold leaf or other fancy elements to those labels, those are, again, not very environmentally friendly components. And it's just, as it stands right now, it's just kind of a one use. You buy it, you drink the whiskey out of it, and then you recycle the bottle with the label and all of that stuff on there. And so what we're hoping to do is look at improving the sustainability of the labeling process in a couple different ways. There are some label manufacturers out there now that are touting various different sustainable labels that are made from non-tree based paper. So things like taking old sugarcane waste from sugar processing and making the, the paper out of that. And there are also producers out there who are making adhesives for these labels that are compostable and things like that. So we want to evaluate that avenue, but I think what I would like to do is take it one step further and try to eliminate the label completely. And so we're also looking at different ways in which we could kind of etch the glass, whether it be with kind of like a sandblaster or some other technique so that you don't even have that label at all. But on the bottle, you can still give the customers all of the information that they legally need to be able to have in order to uh, enjoy your whiskey. Yeah, I'm cheering you on with the glass etching because I'm a crafter. <laughs> so once the moment you said, we're going to try to do it without a label, I was like, you can etch the glass. <laughs> and then you said, we're going to etch the glass. I was like, yes. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, you're, you're just using small pieces of glass to etch away the, the glass with a little air compressor. Like I, th I think it can be done. And that's something that we want to want to work towards 
as quickly as possible. There's still more to be done on the packaging side. And so you have your bottle, you have your label. How are you going to prevent the, the whiskey or alcohol from getting out of your bottle? You need some kind of stopper on the top. If you've consumed any kind of alcoholic spirit, you probably noticed that there are a lot of stoppers out there that are made out of plastic. And I know in my local recycling process, they ask us to take all of our caps off anyhow. And so the chance that those kinds of plastic caps are are being reused, I think is very low. And so what the next logical leap is to actually look at cork-based caps. And so like the wine industry is doing, has been doing forever, trying to implement natural cork-based sealing is what we want to focus on. And cork is actually really interesting because they just harvest the bark and the tree is perfectly healthy if you harvest it right. And so that tree will grow a new bark every nine years. And so that is a really sustainable path that we want to go down instead of using, there are a lot of synthetic corks in the spirits industry and then the traditional kind of plastic screw cap. See, I did not know that about corks. I didn't even actually know. I'm I'm like, I know there's a thing as natural cork, but I don't even know where it comes from. So <laughs> I learned something new. It comes from a tree and it's actually the bark of the tree. Is it just called a cork tree? I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I don't think it grows around here. So. No, no. I think the majority of it is from Portugal. Uh, I oh, think wow. it's hot and humid uh, conditions. So there might be some in the United States. I don't actually know, but I think the majority of it is from overseas. Okay. But still a very sustainable resource, even if it does have to travel a little bit. Yep, exactly. And so then there is one last thing that we need to focus on on the packaging. And there, that is the, the tamper-proof seal. Because it is alcohol and it is a taxed substance and a controlled substance, you have to include some kind of tamper-proof seal. What a lot of producers uh, use is a heat shrink plastic. So again, a single-use plastic, not ideal at all. Um, and so some a lot of producers will use that heat shrink plastic. Some producers will use uh, an adhesive kind of sticker that goes over the top that you have to break in order to open it. What we want to try and focus on is, again, sustainability at every single step. And so what we're hoping to implement is a beeswax seal. If any of the listeners are familiar with like Maker's Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't know much, but I was like, like Maker's Mark. <laughs> exactly. And so they're using that that red wax um, to, to make their seal. But what we're hoping to do is use basically a beeswax that is processed as little as possible to create that seal. And so we hope that that will give the local bee producers another market for their bee wax. I think there's a lot of markets out there for the honey because that's delicious. But for the bees wax, we want to try and provide another way to bring some value to those people that are caring for our pollinators. That kind of wraps up our packaging sustainability mindset that we're trying to implement on those the different levels, the glass, the labels, the ceiling, and then the tamper-proof covering. That is how we hope that we can start driving a more sustainable process in the, the whiskey packaging industry. I think that you have done an insane amount of work and research on this and have come up with a lot of 
simple solutions, like just using natural cork and reusing glass bottles and etching and using a bees wax coating. It's like, why hasn't this been done already? Why aren't others doing this? I'm glad that you're going to be the one to go through and do it. While I was listening to your whole process, I thought of something. What do you do with the leftover grains from the distilling process? A very good question. What we would like to do is partner with our local farms to provide the spent grains to those farmers as a supplement to feedstock. It's very high in protein. And so there are distilleries, especially craft distilleries, uh, that will do that pretty commonly. The other thing that I personally am interested in is uh, methane generation. So taking those spent grains and putting them into a bioreactor and allowing them to interact with some other organisms that are going to generate methane that we could then use to provide an additional level of power uh, within the distillery. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking, why are we creating more methane? Isn't that a greenhouse gas? Right, exactly. Uh, But kind of like what the efforts that some cow farmers are taking, they're actually capturing those waste products. And instead of allowing that methane to escape into the environment, they're using that as a source of power. We've taken a bad greenhouse gas, but we're making it good. Yeah, that, that's the idea. And so I, I am interested in that as, as another avenue, but definitely to start off with, uh, we're going to be focused on making sure that uh, those leftover grains go out to the farmers as, as a valuable feedstock. Let's explain to the listeners, because you've been using um, like future tense verbs. So currently right now, the distillery is not up and running. Can you explain where, where you're at in your business and an estimated timeline for when you'll be fully up and running? So right now, Cultivate Craft Spirits is looking for a location. And so in order to start producing our ideal sustainable whiskey, we need to find the location. And then there's various different levels of local, state, and federal permitting that we'll have to go through. And we are currently in the negotiation process for a building. And if everything goes well with that, we hope to be in production starting towards the end of 2021. And so then we should have whiskey sometime in the middle of 2022, maybe a little towards the the later end of 2022, because we got to let it age. We got to let that magic happen, even with all the different steps that we're taking. Okay. And so once you are up and running, then you're talking about locals coming in and possibly do an exchange program. But what about people who are not local? Are you going to be shipping to them? Because... Alcohol is a very sensitive subject, and there are a lot of laws that are kind of antiquated and left over from prohibition. Because we are going to be based here in Pennsylvania, we will only be able to ship to Pennsylvania residents, and then we will also be in the Pennsylvania-based wine and spirits store. It's a very state-by-state basis in which you can then distribute, and for a lot of the smaller craft distilleries and things, there's a significant investment in moving and expanding to different states, and so At the moment, we would anticipate for the next couple of years to only be available in Pennsylvania, but our hope uh, that this message and this, the ethos that we're trying to implement will resonate uh, with our customers, which will then 
provide us the capital that we'll need to kind of expand further. So for the foreseeable future, it would unfortunately only be able to be purchased and shipped within Pennsylvania. Hopefully your listeners can take a drive through PA at some point in time and maybe stop down and see us in Pittsburgh. Awesome. Well, hopefully, yeah. There now, now that COVID is ending, road trips are back. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So how can listeners best support you now while you're still getting up and functioning? Well, I think the, the best thing and the thing I would appreciate the most is if you just kind of check out our, our website, cultivatecraftspirits.com. We've got a email list that you can sign up for. We're also pre-selling our gift cards. So we can't legally pre-sell a bottle of whiskey. We Once we have all of our permits, we intend to pre-sell those bottles of whiskey, but right now we're pre-selling gift cards. If this kind of message and this kind of idea resonates with your listeners, they can go onto our website and support us that way. But if they just sign up for uh, our email blast. I'll keep everybody updated as we try and move this idea forward. And then they'll get to hear whenever we're actually able to pre-sell bottles of whiskey specifically and uh, kind of help us out on on that front. And I also want to mention that Casey and Cultivated Craft Spirits has joined in on the Starting Sustainability Facebook group. He will also be posting updates within that group as well to keep everybody updated. So we definitely look forward to your updates and your grand opening. Yeah, yeah, we are super excited. It's uh, It's been a, a long journey thus far and I expect more hills to climb, but uh, it's a, they're fun hills to, to climb up. <laughs> and so I did think of another question. For listeners that are not close to you, since shipping is not a thing, we still want to preach to support local, local breweries and distilleries. Do you have tips on what they should look for to make sure that they're supporting a more sustainable, environmentally conscious distillery or brewery? Well, I think one very easy thing that people can look for is the organic label that's still it still will kind of focus on that that first step that farming agriculture step the organic label is good looking for people who are supporting things like no-till farming in the harvest of their grains and then if you're at a brewery or a distillery that is touting electric power and uh, renewable energy power i think that's something that would be beneficial. So I think a lot of times kind of trying to dig down and figure out how sustainable things are if the company or is not being very forthright with it is going to be challenging for those consumers. But I think the easiest thing is going to be looking for the organic seal. There are multiple different brands out there that do organic and then also kind of looking at their marketing material and seeing if they're actually trying to use more sustainable energy sources. Okay, in terms of sustainability between wine and beer and the different spirits, could you rank them in order of sustainability? Like what should people look for? So what I would say is looking at the energy side, wine is going to generally take the least amount of energy to produce because you're basically just crushing the grapes and then fermenting those grapes directly. And then beer is going to take the next highest level of energy because you still have to do that mashing process that I described where you're heating up everything, but you don't have to do the distillation process. And then 
that unfortunately means that distilled spirits are the most energy intensive in terms of production. Well, I know you said it's unfortunate, but I'm glad that you're here because <laughs> you're still going to be making a gigantic impact on that. <laughs> That's our hope. That is our hope. So if you're going to drink distilled beverages, then we're just going to do it the right way. That's the plan. All right. Well, those are all of my hard hitting questions. Before you go, I put together a fun little trivia game. Would you do me the honors of participating in that? Sure, definitely. All right. <laughs> Based off of everything that you've just said, I'm sure you're going to knock this out of the park. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this is my spirits trivia. All righty. Do you know what is the official distilled spirit of the U.S.? got to be bourbon. It's bourbon for sure. Yeah. You got it. Here's the next question. Vodka is a Russian spirit. It is a Russian word meaning what? A, potato, B, little water, or C, to warm up. Little water? Yeah, you got it. I was like, clearly potato. <laughs> Isn't it made from potatoes? <laughs> a, a lot of vodka is, but actually a lot of vodka a lot of the bigger vodka makers also make it out of grain too. They just distill it many, many times to get those flavors out. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. Here's the third and final question. You got a lot riding on this. All righty. Can, can you handle the pressure? <laughs> <laughs> In the 1800s, people cleaned their hair with this spirit. A, brandy, B, whiskey, or C, rum. I bet it's rum. It is rum. Good job. Great. <laughs> wow. I was like, wow, I get the, they all smelled delicious, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Starting Sustainability and educating us all on the distillery process and how you are making it more sustainable. And I really, truly wish you the best of luck and hope that it all comes together for you quickly. Thank you so very much. Yeah, we, we're happy to, to be on here and sharing what we're trying to do. You are a co-founder. Who's your other co-founder? Uh, my wife. Well, you want to give her a shout out? Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, my wife, Lauren, uh, is also in this, uh, this venture with me. And so it's a learning process for both of us. Best of luck to both of you. I'm Thank very, you. very excited for you guys. Thanks. Thank you again, Casey. I don't drink. <laughs> the joke is my husband married me to ensure that he always has a designated driver. For me, as a non-drinker, this was extremely educational and I learned so much. I like how Casey is challenging the current industry and making very impactful changes. Speaking of challenging changes, it's time for the weekly challenge. So let me draw a card and see what we have in store for us this week. Your challenge is... Buy in bulk whenever you can to reduce packaging. I think many of us who have been woke to the sustainability efforts and initiatives for a while now, when we hear buying in bulk, we immediately think a bulk store and the bulk section of the store where you bring your own jars or containers and you fill up with the nuts and the seeds and the beans and lentils and rice and trail mix, flour, sugar, whatever is all there. <laughs> And because of COVID, many of those self-serving bulk sections have been closed, which is really sad. However, if a bulk section, a refillable bulk section like that is not available, the next best thing is to still continue to buy in bulk. So instead of getting 
a pack of 12 individual yogurt cups, you can get a tub of yogurt. This is what we're talking about. Instead of getting a whole bunch of individually pre-wrapped cookies or snacks or chip bags or whatever it is, cracker packets, then you can get those in a big bulk container as well because it's a lot less packaging that way. And that is one simple challenge that we can all easily do. It's great for the environment, not to mention it's friendly on your budget and wallet as well. That is all for this week's episode, Sustainer Nation. Continue to stay safe and stay healthy and stay sustainable. And I will talk to everybody again next week. Have a great one. Bye.